0: Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Blending Corner. We are a podcast that focuses on blended learning in the early elementary years. Um, This is the first episode with our new and revamped format. This episode, we will be discussing how to get started with the station rotation model. If you would like an overview of the different models for blended learning, please go back and have a listen to episode two of this podcast. So guys, let's begin by discussing what the station rotation model is, again, for those who are just joining us and maybe haven't had a chance to listen to the previous episodes.
1: Yeah, station rotation, the station rotation model is a form of blended learning that has a set of different centers that students uh, rotate through during a specific time of a fixed schedule. Uh, Station rotations happen in an actual school or brick and mortar setting. Uh, where where students uh, get a portion of the core curriculum through a student-directed online center. So think of uh, like videos or some sort of program that students are using. Um, One of the most common ways for classrooms to utilize this type of blended learning is through the use of, like I said, uh, adaptive educational software such as Lexia, iReady, Amplifier, DreamBox, and teachers can analyze that data that is produced by one of these uh, pieces of software to differentiate instruction to each student in the classroom.
2: All right, and um, within the station rotation model, there are at least three rotations, usually four. Um, That definitely also depends on the classroom size, but the rotations are usually something along the lines of an online station for independent, independent practice. There's a teacher station that provides real-time feedback, kind of like a small group that you would do with students, and then a no tech station for more like the independent practice on what they were working with with you or kind of what their goal maybe is for the week, and then a collaborative learning station where students um, still don't necessarily have technology, but they're able to do some work with um, other students in their class.
0: Yeah, and what's nice is research has shown that this is the easiest model of blended learning for teachers to implement in the classroom. You can do it with limited technology, and it allows for differentiation based on learning level, learning modalities, or both. So I know the first model that's the most popular is an online learning station for independent practice, where the te- the student has a device. It can involve really any ed tech tool at the teacher's disposal. And it really leads to student-led online learning. And usually this is one station within the model. This is a kind of the station that people tend to always have.
2: Um, I wanna go back for a second, how you mentioned um, that this is kind of like the not necessarily easy because we don't want to say it's easy, right? But it's the most common because mm-hmm. when you think about your own classroom, you do some sort of station. not station rotation but you have some sort of station setup, right so it makes sense that this is the easiest because you're just plugging in different aspects of it and kind of going back to what's comfortable for you and it's nice that it works at any grade level thinking of stations um so i could just definitely see why this is probably the one that's the most implemented um and you can you can
1: put this into any uh uh guided reading time your 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 lip block or you can put it even during your math rotation uh workshop time if if you have programs that that go along with your math learning um so yeah it is it is the easiest to translate from what you would normally do to like a blended learning there you go format Mm -hmm. yes so the the next the next form uh the next station that uh DALMA 2020 references is the ste uh the teacher-led station and that's used mostly for real-time feedback and, and small group instruction and for according to ed puzzle staff uh, at the teacher-led station students work directly on the learning target and build build off of what was shown in the video and or uh it can be an online game or activity the teacher adjusts how they teach a group depending upon the skills the students have demonstrated so far. Um, and just because that a teacher-led, just because a station is teacher-led, doesn't mean that the teacher should do all the talking. It's not about direct instruction. It, you want to encourage students to collaborate, and you want to model a practice, and then have students try the same uh, practice in pairs, or use the teacher-led station for immediate feedback on recently on like example a recently completed piece of writing completed homework or a lab assignment either through formal assessments or informal question and answering and that is according to Lee of 2019.
2: I like that um oh sorry go ahead No, no you go ahead Lena um I was just gonna say I like that you mentioned that we still need to encourage students to collaborate and engage with one another because we know how valuable that information can be. And as we talk about the, um, the independent practice station, people sometimes get in the habit of thinking, okay, it's independent. They have to do it by themselves or they can't work with someone else, or I need you just to show me what you have. Um, but more research from Lee has said that the, offline station works best when students have that opportunity to engage with other people and they have the opportunity to learn from other people and receive guidance from them. And there's so much that can happen when they're able to collaborate and get those learning opportunities, um, versus doing something completely by themselves in an independent station. So I think, yes, with the independent station, um, they still need to be practicing and doing those things, but it doesn't mean they have to be isolated, uh, And kind of do it all completely by themselves.
0: Right. And An interesting thing for me about the teacher-led station is this isn't your typical teacher-led guided reading station. Like this Mm -hmm. is based off of the data from the other stations in the rotation, particularly the student-led online station. You're taking that data and you're differentiating instruction in this teacher station based on that. But also like what you guys were saying – It really seems like in blended learning, no matter what station they are in, they should be collaborating in some respect, like collaboration seems to be key in student learning, especially at this early age.
1: Yeah, and one thing, another thing I wanted to point out too about the teacher-led station that you kind of touched on was the fact that there are so many different programs and platforms that are available for teachers to use that provide data to the teachers. And they're, if teachers are are analyzing that data and using that data to create their groups, they can, they can leverage technology more than they ever thought they could before, because now you're tying it into exactly what you're doing in your small group instruction. And if you're creating groups based on their needs, it's going to make more opportunities for like you said that collaboration because these groups that you're creating are they're at a they're at a point at the same somewhat the same pathway in their learning in their learning uh, uh path
0: yeah because um, even in the independent station you could they would be working by themselves but then you can have them do a turn and talk periodically just to check in with somebody else and see how they're doing with their learning
2: mm-hmm.
0: and with that too um
2: the piece of, regardless of how you're kind of implementing technology, the piece of looking at the data and being able to inform students instruction based off that is so big because when you implement something like this, it's not just, okay, we have one rotation that you're on technology and then you do nothing with it that Mm -hmm. does nothing for them. Um, so being able to use that station and then use that information and kind of wrap it around with the whole teaching and learning cycle, um, that is really something important to, to include, regardless of how you decide to, um, implement technology. Yeah. So we,
1: we kind of touched a little bit on this after we, after we talked about the teacher-led station, but the other, the other station that you had mentioned, Ashley, was the no-tech station, um, Lena, did you have any insight on – any more insights than you already did about – Yeah, I
2: mentioned it. I kind of skipped – not skipped over, but – I kind of went to it and then went back to the other one that we were talking about, but just saying that, um, they have giving them the opportunity, like Lee also stated, um, to engage and receive guidance from one another. And that just because it's independent doesn't mean they have to do it by themselves. It's just practicing something that maybe they got information on from a different part of the day, um, to being able to put those things into practice versus just hearing that information and then doing nothing with it.
1: So the last station out of the four is a collaborative uh, learning station using peers as partners. Um, And we've already mentioned this before, it is very important for students to learn to co-use technology. So instead of just, when you think of like a collaborative station, it you, you often think of like, well, stuff that they're doing offline, working on a project together, but that doesn't necessarily, that's not what that means. It also can mean allowing students to work together on a project on a device. Um, it could be any, anything from like uh, working together and recording a video of working together on like solving a math problem in like Seesaw. It could be something even more as complex as doing a coding assignment. In one of our class, in our class that we're doing right now, 709, there was a coding uh, module that we looked at. And one of the, one part of the module talked about how students could work in pairs on this project. And one student was the driver actually creating the code. And then the other person was the passenger. Am I correct in that? Where they
0: mm-hmm. were
1: there, they're providing um, some guidance and just helping them. The
0: navigator.
1: The navigator, that was it. And so like that can be a good way to have, to u- utilize the collaborative learning station as well.
0: Right. I mean, also think back to COLD and the triple E framework that's used to evaluate the uses of ed tech, ed tech in the classroom. A lot of the triple E framework continually references co-use of technology. Like it's mm-hmm. very clear that Technology should not be an isolated skill. That like kids also can they they can work together and they can solve problems that they might otherwise bring to the teacher if they do have another student that they are working with. Because I've noticed with students, it's easier for them to problem solve when there's another student that they can go to, versus if they don't, if they think they're just having to do this all by themselves, they're more likely to go to the teacher and interrupt the teacher station and ask for help that way. But they're more likely to actually continue to push through and solve the problem on their own if they have a partner to work with. Mm
2: -hmm. And that partner too, right? Um, Even if the partner does maybe understand the concept a little more, they're still deepening their skills because then they're teaching someone else about it. So Mm -hmm. it's not that them, like both of, it's a win-win for both of them, right? So it's not like one is just doing all the work because they're still, like I said, deepening those skills that they have and their understanding of it versus just kind of maybe having a basic understanding. Exactly.
0: And we did want to highlight some things to consider when you begin implementing the station rotation model in your own classroom. The first thing that we really want to highlight is Spend your small group time strengthening your relationships with your students. Um, Use that time to assess the individual needs of students, get to know their strengths and their weaknesses face to face, because that will help them before having them use the device independently. And also, the more you know your students and you have a relationship with them, the more likely they are to do these new. What they might consider harder things that you're asking them to do, the better your relationship, the more willing they are to try.
2: Yeah, we definitely have to invest in them um, as we invest in their education. Mm-hmm. Another one um, that is super important, and we kind of also mentioned earlier, um, is using the data to drive the instruction, but also considering the tools. So you have to really take into account what is best for your students and yourself, and what's best for me might not be best for Ashley or what might not be best for Dan. Um, And most um, adaptive programs have assessments built in that can provide us with maybe tools or areas that some people might struggle in um, whether it's making small groups. I know on some of them you can pull reports and it says all of these students need to work on this uh-huh. specific thing. Use the information that's out there because they do, uh, they don't They do not do all the work for us, but they do a good chunk of the work for us um, to make it easier on this because there are people out there who believe in this completely and know that taking out some of these hurdles kind of, um, can get more people on board with the amazing things that can happen when you implement blended learning into a classroom.
0: Yeah, it's important to know what the tool can and can't do for you. And also the benefit, like if you're just using a tool because it's cool, Mm -hmm. maybe that's not the best tool to use in blended learning. But if it's engaging and it really helps you accomplish your learning goals, that's definitely something to consider using. Yes. Yes.
1: So the third thing that you should keep in mind when uh, implementing the station rotation in your classroom is make the model your own. Obviously there's some best practices that we're talking about when it comes to implementing a station rotation, but don't be afraid to try things here and there and and figure out what is going to work best for you. If you're just starting out for the first time, it's a good idea to start small. For example, creating one station for 15 minutes using an adaptive program that your school or district utilizes or another program that allows students to listen to books such as Epic or Raz Kids. And some of this information comes from White 2019, but it's it's really important that you do make it your own and you start small. Don't try to go big or go home because a lot of times teachers end up crashing and burning when they go that route.
0: Another thing to think of when making the model your own is that you need to have clear systems and that will be vital in the success of this model in your classroom because we can't give you exactly what to do when it comes to your systems because each classroom is different. The system that is going to work for Dan's classroom might not be the system that works for mine, but the thing that would be in common is that we would both have clear systems for how does the model run? How do we use station rotations? That expectation is clear to the students. And there is an article that we found called, How Do I Set Up a Station Rotation Model? That talks about um, when you're thinking of rolling out stations, having a strong classroom culture with clear expectations and student ownership is key to implementing this model effectively. You need to design systems that allow for student voice and choice. So that way they are invested and engaged in their own learning. So as you're rolling out these new systems, you need to make sure your students not only understand how the classroom station rotation model is set up, but why you have set it up in that manner to give them that voice and choice.
2: And I think that's important. We kind of mentioned too, um, about how these are systems and although our classrooms might look different there are some basic things that really make a classroom thrive and this is definitely one of them when the students have the input and they have the voice they buy in and then it helps their it just kind of helps everything flow better right because once you're invested into it you kind of keep going with it more instead of just like, well, it's because my teacher said so. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So because we all have had that happen at some point. Um, So just being able to really have them take ownership of their learning can really um, help them succeed. The other thing, I'm
0: obviously a clear proponent of this because my classroom is completely based on systems and routines and procedures that to the point where I will focus on that before I'll introduce content because to me, if you don't have these things in your classroom, no matter what you're doing, it's gonna fall apart. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh-huh. And the you spend more was-
0: time, sorry, you spend more time fixing things versus
2: being able to teach the content. So it's like you have to focus on these things um, so you can get to the content. All right, exactly. Dan, your turn, sorry. <laughs> I, you,
1: you guys pretty much covered what I was going to say. It just It's really important that you get to the system first, like make it clear And make sure the students understand exactly when and where they need to be, how they're getting out, how they're using the computers, how to sign in, how to use the computers, especially if you're a kindergarten teacher and you have students that have never used a mouse before or some sort of tablet. It's very important that you teach those skills before ever diving into a full-fledged station rotation model. So it's just very important, like you said, Ashley, to start with the processes, start with the procedures before you ever dive into the content or the curriculum.
0: Exactly. And another thing that we want to highlight is the ISTE standards for educators. As you are bringing more technology into your classroom, it's really important to dig into the ISTE standards, not only for students, but for educators, so you can use those to tailor how you are using the practices in your classroom. We think that the station rotation model highlights several of these ISTE standards for educators and if you guys would like to see that please see the posting on our website that goes along with this episode. We also encourage you as fellow educators to participate in the discussion board that is also posted with this episode. It's a great way to collaborate and engage with other educators in an online community
2: near and far. And we said at the beginning of this episode that it was going to be a little different for these um, next few episodes. We decided to bring in a very special guest, who is our current boss and principal, Brandon Phoenix. He has given us um, quite a bit of pushback on blended learning and implementing technology in the classroom. Um, So we are going to um, ask him a few questions and kind of get his insight on maybe some of the things that we haven't been able to get his insight Um, on before in regards to blended learning so here we go
0: so we would like to welcome Brandon Phoenix Phoenix how are you doing today
3: terrific thank you
0: it's good to have you here with us at the blending corner we're excited to hear our first interview on this podcast so you get to kind of break the mold for us
3: great I'm very excited to participate
0: we're excited to have you Okay, so I'm going
2: to start us out here today, and our first question for you is, what is your understanding of the station rotation model in blended learning?
3: So my um, experience with the station rotation model, um, I have learned that there's not necessarily one Concrete definition that every school and classroom uses, it's very different. So here's what I understand when I hear station rotation. What I hear um, is that uh, that can be students are rotating through different groups and every kid has their own computer, but what they're doing on the computer is different. So for example, if that was three different groups, um, and let's say we had eight kids in a group, some kids may be doing uh, iReady, some kids may be doing um, some sort of intervention program, another group of kids might be um, to a book um, another group could also be watching some sort of instruction from the teacher um, mostly what I have observed when it comes to station rotation in classrooms uh, is one or two of those groups is on a computer uh, and they're doing different things so one group may be using some sort of program um, like a dream box or an iReading. another group uh, may be doing something like listening to books or doing some sort of review or maybe an accelerated reader quiz or things along those lines um, that's kind of the what the iterations I have observed uh, in my career.
1: How do you feel about us incorporating blended learning into our classrooms as an administrator?
3: So I have significant uh, reservations when it comes to uh, blended learning uh, in classrooms. Here's what I have observed, and I say this because Uh, before I became a school leader I was the director of instructional technology um, at a district uh, charter schools in New Orleans right so that was my first role before I became a school leader and what I observed was particularly for the schools that I have worked in uh, historically as an educator I have only ever worked in lower income low performing um, turnaround or transformation schools so these are schools that are not high achieving they tend to be schools where um, the district is always looking for the next silver bullet. What's that next thing that will uh, accelerate student learning as quickly as possible? And about about eight or nine years ago, um, blended learning and education technology kind of became that next silver bullet. What I observed uh, is particularly in New Orleans, uh, I felt like it did more harm than it did good. So I think um, teachers were not properly trained about how to use the programs or the technology, that's always hard to find that time. Um, I found that the kids that benefit the most from that sort of learning are not the students that um, are below grade level, it tends to be your kids that are at or above grade level who kind of take off with that sort of independent learning. When you're talking about novice teachers, teachers that don't have strong classroom management, don't have strong time management, um, it becomes more of a crutch and they think, oh, the program, the computer program is doing the teaching. It's not really. If you're not looking at the data and what kids are actually doing and what they're actually learning and how much time they're spending on the programs, it's really just extended play time. Um, when you think about rolling out blended learning to a whole school, that's always what teachers want, right? We all, Someone gets something new. We all want to have that. Mm. Well, there's a lot of teachers that aren't ready. You know, when you, when you put a bunch of computers in a, in a first or a second year's teacher's classroom, All of a sudden, like you've made things worse, not better. Um, And so I think um, there is a lot of potential. I think a lot about the ways in which um, blended learning technologies can be used to use time differently, whether that's the student's time instructionally we're using differently, like flipped classrooms, or if we're using the teacher's time differently. Right, like So whether it comes to grading, whether it comes to um, assessment, like ways it can save time so it's used differently, that to me is very intriguing. I think even the best um, out-of-the-box learning programs are not as good uh, as um, a teacher who is, who is prepared. And so I think the question I always ask when we um, talk about using technology in the classroom is tell me how this is better than just a teacher in front of a small group or what we've done historically. What are the ways in which this saves us time or accelerates learning? Because um, the other barrier a lot of districts um, come across is you bought the program, but you're not using the program the way it's supposed to be used. You know, you bought it, you didn't really roll it out right. The research, if the program is research-based, you say, well, they say, well, you gotta use this for 90 minutes a week. Okay, well, your kids use it for 20. So you're not gonna get the supposed benefits that the sales rep sold you if you don't use the program the way it's supposed to be used. Um, In my experience, I've seen more schools and teachers make missteps rather than make huge leaps with their students when it comes to blended learning.
0: So, I mean, on a similar note, how do you think that blended learning and how do you feel about it and its ability to increase academic outcomes if used the right way?
3: That question is a hard one for me to answer because you could insert any curriculum resource pedagogy method and say, yeah, if you use this right, it'll increase. Well, I agree. Um, I will tell you that the barrier, or at least the driver for me in a lot of instances is um, the teacher's baseline comfort with technology. You know, when you give when you talk about a program, I can give a program to certain teachers on our staff member, and I, they will they will figure it out. They will figure out how to use it. That's great. There's other staff members that just don't have that that familiarity with technology, and it's a completely different sort of lift as an administrator because I'm teaching you how to log in, um, how to look at the reports. Like it's a very different it's a very different experience. I think that is shifting because more and more teachers are realizing this is part of the game. It's a younger teaching force. So I believe a lot of that is changing. I am very optimistic overall about what I believe blended learning can do uh, for student instruction. I think it's like any other tool. You got to figure out the best place for it and when it works best and when it doesn't. Um, And I think it's one of those things because there's so much technology in our own individual lives, whether it's phones or programs or social media, we automatically assume that it's going to be a value add and i think in in the k12 space that's not a safe assumption.
1: Can I let me follow up just a little bit on that. I just want to kind of see if i understand what your position is. You're not necessarily saying that blended learning is bad but you think that there needs to be some there needs to be better ways for it to be introduced and it the, more time needs to take place for people to become more familiar with the technology. Is is that in essence, what you're saying? Or or do you think that very minimally it should be included in the classroom?
3: I think it depends on the classroom whether it should be included or not. Now, I would say this. No, I am optimistic. You're right. And Dan, part of your response was, yep, like PD training preparation is one component of that. Yep. Um, understanding how the tool fits and what your desired outcomes are mm-hmm. is another component of that. Um, I will tell you, Two, two big mistakes that I think a lot of districts make. Uh, the first is sales reps. I do not allow sales reps to talk to me. Um, like when I talk to sales reps and whether it's ed tech programs or anything else, like I come to you with the questions I have, you don't get to sell things to me. Um, I think unfortunately school districts are very vulnerable to sales reps um, and like looking every year for that new thing they can spend up this grant money on. That's part of it. Um, the other part, that's that's hard for me is districts are not good at piloting things. Usually when we find something, they want everybody and their brother in the whole building to be doing it and doing it with fidelity. Well, any program, you know, whether we're talking about an instructional method or a program, it takes a minimum, I think, in my experience, of two years to do something with fidelity, um, and I think, School saying, oh great, everybody's gonna get this tool, everybody's gonna roll it out, everyone's gonna benefit. One thing I've had to learn as a school leader, uh, and some of you guys have seen this firsthand with some of the conversations we have had is, let's just try this with a few people. What's their experience? Do they think this works or not? Is it, is it a value add? And if it works with these few people, that doesn't mean I'm gonna roll it out to everybody. Maybe it's just these few people that know how to maximize this thing. Um, we understand that conversation inherently when it comes to our kids. As educators teachers don't want to hear that they don't want to hear that their support or resources are being differentiated they want to hear oh they got that I want that well maybe it's not the best time for that or it doesn't fit for you
2: I never thought of it that way
0: yeah I haven't either we
2: differentiate for students like you said all the time but but we never
0: differentiate for teachers yeah. <laughs> that, that brings up a whole new phase of the game that I think a lot of people don't talk about mm-hmm um, Okay,
2: our next question is, what is your experience with blended learning or ed tech in general?
3: So in 2013, um, I had just resigned from a company that I had started with a friend. And the company at the time did, um, we did kind of in-home uh, and online learning services for students. And it was a great experience. I basically spent a year and a half kind of as, a, as an entrepreneur. I made no money. I was completely broke. Uh, and when I left the company, I kind of sat down and thought about what, what I wanted to do next. And I knew I wanted to be involved. I wanted to get back into schools because at that point it had been about five or six years since I'd been in a school. And I also knew technology was something I was very interested in. So I ended up, uh, uh working for a company called education elements. I started there in November of 2013. Uh, and it was a consulting firm. Uh, my office was actually in the Watergate building in DC. So I, it felt like super important, super cool. <laughs> so there were two facets to the business. There was their technology. They have a they have a data program they sell. And basically it's a dashboard that takes student achievement data from iReady and Dreambox and ST Math and puts it all into one dashboard. It doesn't work very well. Hmm. Um, I didn't work on that side of the business. I was on the consulting side of the business. I would meet with superintendents and principals and teachers and talk about... Uh, What sort of model are you looking for? Are you looking for a station rotation model? Are you looking for a flipped model? Are you looking for a computer lab model, right? Um, And then I would help them plan the PD uh, to help teachers. Now, I was only there for six months because the company lost a ton of money. Um, But from there, I went and moved to New York City, and I was there for uh, about three months as a computer lab teacher, right? So now here I am not talking about these things, but actually doing them. So I was a computer lab teacher in Queens uh, and they had Chromebooks. I didn't know how to use them. Like we were trying to figure that out. We were using Achieve 3000 at the time. So I was putting a lot of the things, a lot of practices that I talked about into play. Uh, And when that year ended in 2014, I ended up uh, moving to New Orleans and became the director of, at the time, the director was director of blended learning. it eventually switched to director of personalized learning because the the words were, there were different fads around the words. Um, And for about a year, a little over a year, I was the director of blended learning. So what did I do? Um, Here's a thing that a lot of people don't think about. A lot of my time was spent working very closely with the information technology team, the computer guys, because they didn't know which machines to choose. Um, They didn't know how kids and teachers were going to be using them. So we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the machines to choose, how to optimize those, how to roll them out with kids, all of those things. And then the district would, would look into different programs, and I was in charge of helping uh, principals and teachers work on those programs. So while I was doing that work, at the same time, I was also leading a, a fellowship in New Orleans that was funded by a, a wealthy philanthropist. Basically, she chose we chose 20 teachers across different schools, and we said, we're going to take these 20 teachers for a blended learning fellowship, and we're going to give them a classroom of Chromebooks. And the idea was even if their district or their school wasn't keen on blended learning yet, well, let's give the machines to the teachers and seed it in the school that way because, again, these are the teachers we believe can. Um, I also led, while I was doing that work, um, there was like a a meetup uh, of blended learning staff members across all of the big districts across the city. So there was like 10 of us who all had the same job I did. And we would meet once a month and talk about, okay, what program are you using? Why do you like that? How are you doing it? I'm running into this. It was almost like um, sharing best practices for us. I loved it because it was a very exciting time to be doing that work in New Orleans. Um, but again, I think the the same problems that I discussed at the beginning were still very apparent. Um, I will also tell you that this is, uh, we're talking seven, seven years ago now. A lot of the early promises that were made by a lot of these education technology companies have definitely not come to fruition. You know, when it comes to, I'll give you an example, personalized learning. Every program you buy will say it's personalized. What what does that mean? Does that mean that like when the student finishes the lesson, the next lesson is different? Does that mean like the student has to finish several lessons and then it changes? Does that mean like some programs, personalization happens within the lesson, right? It's changing based on how the kid responds. Like that word gets thrown around very differently. And so um, it means different things, and I think there were a lot of big talk and promises, particularly when this was new seven or eight years ago. That really has not materialized. Um, it's very, very hard to recreate the learning experience for a child, um, particularly when we're talking about a five or a six-year-old through a computer. Ashley, was that the? Did I answer your question? I can't remember how I started.
0: Yeah, no, that was a good answer to the question. It was kind of like, "What's your experience?" That's a good overview of what we asked
3: you. Yep. So
1: the, the last question that we're gonna ask is kind of a fun one. It's, uh, what is what is your favorite ed tech tool you use in the classroom? Just give us one. You don't you don't have to give us more than that, just one.
3: Oh, wow, there's so many. Um, I'm gonna say something that hopefully will surprise you. Uh, my my favorite ed tech tool that I have come across is ST Math. Have any of you heard of ST Math? Mm-mm. Oh, see, I have aspirations of bringing ST Math to our school at some point. Um, You should definitely check it out. ST Math is a program that's been around for about 10 years. Uh, It is meant to be uh, a math intervention tool. There are no words uh, and there's no talking. The entire program is just symbols and visuals. Um, And it's meant to be very game-based. And there's this little penguin called Gigi that the kids follow. And it starts with the very, very basics of, of math. Um, so from a conceptualization standpoint, um, it's phenomenal. And again, the school district I worked at was using it for tier one. I have found that it's, it's, it can be really powerful for tier two and tier three kids. You know, those students that when you get to them in first or even second grade, who still don't have strong number sense, like those sorts of things that can be a big value add for them. It's very expensive. I think it's one of the few programs that I would actually pay for because it's about 60 bucks a kid. Um, and it's been a while since I've used it. But I've heard nothing but great things about it. And I'm, I hope at some point to be able to like dust it off again and give it another look.
0: Awesome. i love to check it out. Yeah, I was just going
2: to look it up. Um, all right. Well, that is all that we have for you today. We want to thank you for being part of our podcast today and everyone else for listening as we had this discussion on the station rotation model of blended learning. Please join us next week when we talk about implementing an LMS for blended learning.
1: And remember, if you're not blending, your classroom is ending.